0: Hello, and welcome to Insights into Wealth with Bull Wealth. I'm Julian Smith, CEO of Bull Wealth. Today, Savas Odancev, Bull Wealth Director of Research and Investments, interviews Peter Klein, Bull Wealth's Chair of our Asset Allocation and Investment Committees, to discuss the importance of asset allocation within an investment portfolio. Sava and Peter explore the role of asset allocation, some of the steps in determining how an optimal asset allocation is developed, biases towards Canadian equities for Canadian investors, and the effect of currency within an investment portfolio. Before jumping into our podcast, we would like to introduce Sava, who joined Bull Wealth over five years ago as an investment analyst within our research team, and over the past year. Sava's role has grown to include leading our investment manager due diligence and overall asset allocation platform. Sava joins Bull Wealth Insights into Wealth podcast for the first time and will no doubt join others as we further explore our investment manager due diligence process. Sava and Peter's conversation is both thoughtful and insightful, and we hope it helps increase your knowledge of the factors determining your investment portfolio's asset allocation. As you know, we like to keep it short and simple. So, we will leave it to Peter and Sava to further discuss this important topic.
1: Hi, Peter. Thanks for joining me today.
2: Hi, Sava. I'm looking forward to it.
1: Let's start our conversation with the basics. Why is S-allocation important?
2: I'd say it's not just important, but it's very important. There have been a number of studies that show that having a proper asset allocation drives over 90 percent of the success of your investment program so it's something you want to make sure you get right and speaking
1: about investment program what role does the asset allocation have in the investment process
2: the process starts with trying to understand the client's goals and constraints and that ends with the choice of securities in the portfolio the size of this portfolio problem is overwhelming given the large number of securities that could be selected. So the role of the asset allocation step is to provide a general framework for that security selection afterwards.
1: Let's talk here a little bit more about the steps in the investment process. What are the building blocks there?
2: The first step is to determine the client's goals and constraints.
1: Could you provide some examples of
2: client goals? A client may have goals of capital preservation, uh, income and growth, for example.
1: Can you also give me an example of a typical client's constraint
2: liquidity is a common constraint for example an investor may need to stay away from too many investments that can't be sold within say a year and this would constrain or restrict allocations to um, certain investments such as private equity
1: let's continue with the investment process
2: after the goals and constraints the next step is to choose which asset classes should be considered And this is done based on those goals and constraints, but also on the expected return, the expected risk, and the expected co-movement among the potential asset classes. What comes next? After that, you will consider various combinations of those eligible asset classes. And you do that in order to find attractive portfolios, hopefully the most attractive portfolio, based on the expected risk and return that it provides, as well as, of course, the client goals and constraints.
1: Peter, can we be more specific here? Can you provide an example of that?
2: If a given client has a given constraint, uh, liquidity I used in my earlier example, what you might find is that a portfolio which is otherwise very attractive simply violates the constraint. It may, the example I gave, have too large a weight to private equity, which exceeds the tolerance for the investor to be in illiquid investments. So what that means is you simply can't consider that portfolio and need to move to one that is not only attractive, but also does not violate that constraint. What is the last step in this process? Well, after that, where does it go from here? You'll pick one portfolio that you think is going to work and that will serve as a general framework for the next step, which is the security selection step. Now, some advisors claim to have expertise to do this on their own. As you know, we don't believe that anyone, including ourselves, can be an expert on everything. So we hire specialist managers to do that for us. And these managers are independent and we're able to hire and fire them as we see fit based on the performance they provide.
1: Peter, let's talk about some of the asset classes. As we both know, Canadian investors tend to have a bias towards including a lot of Canadian equities in their portfolios. Do you see any concerns with ignoring other parts of the world, as the Canadian stock market is primarily consists of the three sectors?
2: I think to get started, it might be useful to discuss the role of equities in general in a client's portfolio. And if you step back for a minute, you recognize that most investors have spending needs, short term as well as long term. For individual investors, the spending is usually on goods and services. And so when you think about it, investments that produce those goods or services are likely to be attractive because the return on those investments should increase as the cost of their goods or services increases and also decrease. So in effect, it's like a natural hedge for someone who plans to buy those goods and services. So that's one of the reasons why A large holding of equities is usually part of most investors' portfolios. But in this case, what about the lack of diversification? Well, exactly. That is an important aspect of the Canadian equity markets we need to take into account. Because as you noted in your question, the Canadian stock markets are very undiversified and concentrated in financials, energy and materials. What that means is that in order to have this natural hedge effect, For their spending needs, Canadians should hold a large amount of foreign equities. And that amount would be larger as compared to the amount of foreign equities that, say, a US investor might hold. And this is because a US investor in their domestic US market can purchase stocks that represent far more closely the total package of goods and services that the investor may be purchasing.
1: Peter, with that being said, how does currency affect portfolio construction?
2: Well, this is an important consideration as well, because if you recognize that Canadian investors tend to spend in Canadian dollars, compared to say U.S. investors who generally spend in U.S. dollars, what that means is that the way Canadian investors perceive risk is different than for U.S. investors. What that means is if you were to look at historical risk of say, from a Canadian perspective, domestic Canadian equities compared to foreign US equities what you find typically is that the foreign equities are less risky if you redid that exercise from the perspective of a US investor you typically find the opposite and the reason there that difference is there is because of the effect of the Canadian US dollar exchange rate so for this reason too it's critically important for Canadian investors to look outside of Canada for a large part of their equity investments So
1: in this case, are there any offsetting factors?
2: Yes, of course, there are offsetting factors, generally referred to as home bias. And these factors can arise for a number of reasons, such as taxation, regulation, or simply an investor's emotional degree of comfort with holding investments that are closer to home. So all of these home bias factors would lead to larger holdings of Canadian equities.
1: Let's speak about some of the most recent events. During 2022, we have seen how different assets became much more correlated. For example, equities and fixed income. How does asset allocation change in this
2: case? If assets are more correlated, it generally means that the benefits of diversification are less, and that's critical to asset allocation. But even so, if those benefits are less, if you run the numbers, as you know we do at Bull Wealth, you'll find that it's still critically important to invest in a wide range of asset classes. So going back to current macro
1: environment, how do you think building asset allocation is changing given the environment of rising
2: interest rates? If interest rates are rising, then clearly that will affect the expected return on some asset classes. For example, for long-term bonds, if interest rates rise, that means the price will be falling which means that the return you'd expect as interest rates rise will be less. Of course, once interest rates have risen to a new level and are no longer changing as much, then that return at that point in time moving forward would be higher than what it was before interest rates started to change. Now, you can extend that discussion to other asset classes as well. For example, infrastructure or real estate, which often is viewed as providing a long-term series of cash flows, well, the present valuing of those cash flows is important. And if interest rates are increasing, that means the present value or price of those cash flows, the price of investments in infrastructure, for example,
1: would be less. We talked about a lot of things here. What are the three main takeaways for our listeners?
2: Get the currency right. Canadian investors should measure things in Canadian dollars, And if you do that, you'll usually get a different answer than if you do it in U.S. dollars. Secondly, take advantage of the one free lunch in investing, which is the benefits of diversification. You may be the best stock picker in the world, or you may hire someone who thinks they're the best stock picker in the world. But you need to recognize that you and they will never be 100% certain that you're right. And usually you're not. So in this case, you need to diversify. Third, you should never consider the attractiveness of an investment on a standalone basis. The only thing that counts is the contribution of an investment to the investor's entire portfolio and how that entire portfolio meets the investor's goals. And as an example of this, looking at benchmark analysis on a standalone basis for an individual investment can often be a good first guess of whether that investment is indeed going to be worth adding to a portfolio. But it is surprising how that analysis can mislead if you don't also look at how that investment moves or doesn't move with other investments in your portfolio.
1: Thank you, Peter, for these valuable insights into asset allocation. That was great.
2: Great. Well, thanks. You're most welcome.
0: Thanks again to our guests, Sava Srdansa and Peter Klein insights into wealth is a vocal fry studios production our producer is sabrina brathwaite i'm your host julian smith if you want to reach out to me please email me directly or you may find me on linkedin
1: Bullwealth Wealth is the corporate group name of Bull Capital Management, Inc. and Bullwealth Wealth Management Group, Inc. Bull Capital Management, Inc. is registered as a portfolio manager and exempt market dealer in the provinces of Ontario, British Columbia, Alberta and Quebec, and also as an investment fund manager in the province of Ontario. The information contained in this podcast is not intended to solicit or to provide research or investment advice to the listeners by BullWealth or any of its affiliates. Also, the receipt of the podcast by its listeners is not to be taken as constituting solicitation or giving of research or investment advice by BullWealth or any of its affiliates. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, published or reproduced in whole or in part.